Ugh, it's a Monday. And I even wore my spicy pants Ooh. in an attempt to... For your spicy hot takes? Yeah. They have peppers on them. They do? <laughs> it's not going to help. No. It's not going to help. No, it's going to be... This is an episode for the ages. It's going to be rough, but we're going to try. We're doing it. Yeah. and It's, it's ru- happening. <laughs> it's rough because we're talking about the Grateful Dead. Welcome to Rock Candy. Your weekly <laughs> podcast. Bringing you sweet treats from the world of music every week. And I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. <laughs> we are your hosts. And we're, we're trying. We're trying. It's a day. It's been a day. It's been a fucking weekend. And it's been a. It, I, it's been the b- most bizarre weekend of my life. It's fine. Yep. You helped out our friend Lewis. Yes, at, the... at Empire State Comic Con. Yes. Go check out if you like nerdy things. I'm gonna shout him out right now. Uh, go check out Item Get. It's mm-hmm. a great store. They have they sell great things, big things, wonderful things, bigly things. <laughs> we also got to hang out with our podcast friends. So Wizard. Hey that guys. was awesome. <laughs> hey Markellis. Hey Joey. Also got to hang out with Video Game Crosstalk. Hey Anthony. He had a panel on Friday night that was really rad and I was very excited for him. No, oh, congratulations. So that was awesome. It was really nice to go to a con and see some friends, but I did not get a lot of sleep. I did drive to Brooklyn and back in 12 hours. I didn't take my thyroid medicine. <laughs> I have to talk about Grateful Dead. <laughs> It's a day, guys. <laughs> and we were also up late watching Game of Thrones last night. Oh, yeah, so. fuck yeah. And ga- shout out Game of Thrones is back. Yeah. Woo-woo. Not enough Brienne and Tormund kissing. Waiting for that. That's, uh, that's all we're here that's for. That's all I'm here for. And you know what? I am going to be pissed if we don't get that by the end of the season. Oh, yeah. That's that's really all I am waiting for. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with admitting that. Who I got to punch We just gotta to get go- Tormund and Brienne to kiss. We just got to go trash Johnny's apartment. <laughs> Sorry, Johnny. We forgot to do that last night. We didn't get. Yeah, we didn't get around. <laughs> we didn't to get it. what we wanted. So we forgot. We were too tired. Next week. Yep. Next week. We're biding our time slowly. Anyway, so yes, as Ashley said at the beginning, we are talking this week about the Grateful Dead, and you might be wondering, but guys, why are you talking about the Grateful Dead? That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> And that's because we're putting our money where our mouth is. Yeah. We so we made a mistake, guys. Case, guys, we, <laughs> we have to mistake. go back. We have to go back. We made a mistake. I made a huge mistake. You, made a, you really Joe Bluth did. Oh, I really <laughs> Joe Bluth this shit. So a couple, or not a couple, a couple months ago, we did Queen. In case you didn't listen to Queen episodes, and maybe at one point we stated, if you guys buy us a beer and ask us to do an episode on an artist based on a beer, we will do it. Biggest mistake ever. Uh, friend of the podcast, <laughs> dedicated listener, Avery. Wonderful person. We love you, Avery. Love you, Avery. This is not a reflection on you as a person. <laughs> no, it is not. But you did give us this beer called American Beauty from Dogfish Head. It is a pale ale. It's brewed with granola and honey and all-American hops. And it's actually really good. It actually, you know what? Honestly, it's really good. I will say, at least we got a tasty fucking beer out of this yes. shit. So I if am If it tasted happy. like shit, I would have found you, Avery. <laughs> we have, we have a special set of skills. It's mostly drinking, but we would have maybe found you. It's mostly dirty looks. It's but mostly dirty you know. looks and drinking. <laughs> like, just saying fuck a lot. Yeah. But they're skills, nonetheless. Yeah. My resting bitch face would have made you very uncomfortable. <laughs> Yes, it would have, though. Her resting bitch face has made a many uncomfortable. Oh, it has. Yes. But uh, yes, this is actually a very good beer. 
And we dropped it off in my apartment and said, hey, have you done Grateful Dead? I was like, nope. Nope. <laughs> now I'm gonna. <laughs> All right. So we're doing it. So we're doing Grateful Dead. All right. So And guys, it's a lot. It's a lot. Okay. Well, okay. So my main sources for this was Long Strange Trip. There is a book and there is also a film. Mm-hmm. This is not for the faint of heart. The book I couldn't get through. I got through maybe four or five chapters and it's I mean, just, it's dense. Yeah, it was a lot. It's so dense. I couldn't, I couldn't maybe finish it. Maybe if we were doing like a five-parter. Not maybe. even that. I just, I couldn't listen to it because I'm not a Grateful Dead fan. I like, I'm going to state right here now, guys, this was very difficult for me. This was probably the hardest episode I might ever have to do. Yeah. Like, Queen was easy. Yeah, I did a lot of research. I put a lot of time into it, but I fucking love Queen. Yeah. This was super hard because the Grateful Dead is not an easy band to understand. They have many forms and a rich history that is arguably quite hard to follow. The drugs probably don't help with that. Uh, no. It's a lot of drugs, guys. If anything I have learned from this podcast, it's it's that drugs don't help anything. Guys. Drugs make everything Really bad. Yeah. No. Drugs aren't like... They're not your answer. I promise you. No. You might think they are, but they're not. They're not. And here's the thing. Not at all, you know, substance shaming. You know, you gotta do what you gotta do. No, 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 Like, you smoke some pot. Maybe you even, like, I don't know, drop, like, some ecstasy. You drink a bunch... I mean, we drink a lot. We're not judging anybody on what you do. Not at all. But, like, these artists... Oof, they take some choices and they're not great. But there's a big difference between doing something recreationally and making it as a career choice. Making it as a career choice and also having your life depend on it, basically. Yeah. There's there's a big difference. Yeah. And a lot of these musicians make it so that they depend on it. I and will, that's not good. I will um hint at this right now. The Grateful Dead are absolutely no exception to this. Right. And it actually went deeper than even I knew. Which I didn't know much, so that's not that surprising. But it, it was surprising for me to be like, oh, okay. This goes harder than I thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, in addition to the already tall task of researching this band, I quickly discovered I sincerely do not like the Grateful Dead. Like as people? <laughs> yeah. Or just collectively as a whole? Uh, yes. Okay. Both. Yes. Um, before there were like two or three songs that I would say weren't all that bad. And I thought, you know, there might be something that's going to win me over and I will be like, yeah, I'm into the Grateful Dead. I loved A Touch of Grey when mm-hmm. I was a child. It is. It's a good song. Mostly because the the music video for it spoke to my like childlike gothic heart. Because it's just a bunch heart. of skeletons Because it's playing a bunch of skeletons. It is really cute. It is actually a very and cute video. I like skeletons. So like, <laughs> I like skeletons, damn it. It's really cool. Yeah. No, I agree. It actually it is a very cute, good... It was a cute poppy song. Yeah. No, it's it's a good song. And, mm-hmm. you know, I like... Everybody likes Casey Jones, the cocaine train song. I don't know if I know Driving that, that train. Ah. Uh. High, High on, on cocaine, co- oh. cocaine okay. train song. Um, I like Mexicali blues. There, there, there's like three or four songs. I'm like, all right, mm-hmm. I can make an argument for almost any band that they have three or four songs that I like or can listen to. But um, throughout this three or four weeks of research, I also gave myself an extended amount of time to research. By the you way, you kind of have to. Well, yeah, I it, it was very difficult. Yeah, <laughs> this only made me. 
make the definitive decision that I don't care for them at all. Those songs that I'm like, they're fine. I don't ever have to hear them again. Yeah. You know, like I, if, I, if I never heard Touch of Grey again, I'm like, that's fine. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. Like I can conjure it up in my head if I really want to, but I don't need to. I don't need to. I don't need to. But that's the real crux of this band. They are very polarizing. Look, you either love the Grateful Dead to some varying degree or you hate them to some varying degree. Yeah. They have made such an impact with their music on society as a whole that they are their own cultural zeitgeist. Yes. From the hippie culture of the 60s to the millennials of today, there are a vast amount of deadheads that have fallen in love with the dead's music and the lifestyle that became synonymous with it. Laid back, community oriented, and usually pretty laden with drugs. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, like, they have their own kind of person. Yeah. Which is interesting. And yeah. not a whole lot of bands have that. Yeah. You know, when you say deadhead, you know exactly what we're the, talking that about. That image just pops right up. Oh, yeah. Tie dye, Birkenstocks, long hair, dreads, scruffy. Scruffy. Kind of talks like Cheech and Jong, you know? <laughs> a little yeah, bit. man. Or like, you know, yeah, just very soft-spoken. Very nice. Right. But also will like end the conversation by asking you for a dollar. <laughs> Yo, it's 2019. They're asking for five dollars. Yeah, they're asking for five Right. Bucks. Today, I will do my best to present to you with a comprehensive story of the Grateful Dead. This is by no means a deep cut. In fact, this is going to be dead for dummies because there is no way that I could become an expert on this in, again, three or four weeks. Yeah, there's... Going I can't from, go from zero to deadhead. Not even zero. Going from I don't really like this band at all to I have to know everything about this band. It's hard. It's, you can't do that. It's it's difficult just to go from I know a little bit about this band to here's everything about this band. Exactly. That's hard enough. You can't you can't go from you know negative ten no. to a hundred percent. I mean, I would still have put myself at zero. Yeah. Just because maybe one, because I, I know the names and I know the some of the songs. And a little bit of the history. Actually, I didn't really know any history. Oh. I didn't even know when Jerry Garcia died. Spoiler alert, Jerry Garcia is dead. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the person <laughs> listening doesn't know he's dead. Sorry, if I If they don't that. know he's dead, then they don't know who he is, period. Oh, that's fair. All right. You win this round. <laughs> Anyway, unlike everything else out there, this is the story of the Grateful Dead for those not really into the Grateful Dead. Yeah. Because every other fucking thing I found, you already had to be in and, like, inundated in the Grateful Dead. Yeah. To understand. Like, the documentaries and the books and even, like, YouTube videos and interviews, it's hard to follow because they pretty much expect you to already know who the Grateful Dead is. And I didn't, except for Jerry Garcia. Fair. He had ice cream named after him. Cherry Garcia. Which is like not even that great of a flavor. I don't want fruit in my fucking ice cream. Oh, I do, but I don't, I don't, no. Uh-uh. No. The only time I like fruit in my, well, it's not, I only like black raspberry, Ooh. which doesn't have like chunks of fruit in it. Yeah. Don't yeah. put chunks of shit, yeah, fucking I don't, fruit yeah, in yeah. my ice cream. Stop it. Yeah. It's basic. It's gross. <laughs> Jerry, Gar- Jerry Garcia, you're basic. You're basic. Anyway, here's the story of the Grateful Dead. If you just either don't like them or don't know anything and are curious, 
the good enough history. The good enough history <laughs> of the Grateful, of the Grateful Dead. Dead. <laughs> Here we go. I'm already starting with good enough because normally I like to go through the childhood of every band member, but not today, Satan. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Because no. this would be a 10 fucking parter if I chose to do that. Yeah. Instead, I am starting at their collective musical beginning. That's fine. Yes. So in 1964, there was an American folk band based in Palo Alto, California called Mother McCree's Uptown Jug Band Champions. Is this like a competitor in fucking Emmett Otter? Like, what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> Like, I still haven't seen that, but I know what you mean. And it was really hard Which for me to see need- that name with a straight fucking face. We need to fix that. You, I need to show you that movie this Christmas. This Christmas. Because it has to wait until Christmas. You cannot watch it no. any other time of year. No. But also, it's amazing. All right. I don't, I don't disagree with you. Anyway, they were just a bunch of young guys playing at coffee houses and managed to get a tape recorded by some Stanford students, which actually didn't even get released until 1999. I'm imagining that the drugs probably made them forget about it. It's going to be it's going to be a theme here, guys. Three of the band members, guitarist Jerry Garcia, guitarist Bob Weir, and keyboardist Rob or I'm sorry, keyboardist Ron Pigpen McKernan turned it into a new band called The Warlocks. That's a pretty badass name. Right? They were girly going for more of like a slight more bluesy feel. Okay. They added on new members with bassist Phil Lesh and drummer Bill Kreutzman. Their shows were rather successful, and they were beginning to make a name for themselves, especially in the psychedelic scene. However, it was a name that was already taken. Oh, is that an English band? No. No? No. Okay, never mind. You would think, though, it does sound like some kind of British metal band, right? Yeah, like something, somebody that like played with Led Zeppelin all the time or something. Why isn't that a British metal band? I don't know. Let's change that. <laughs> Let's pretend we're a British metal band. <laughs> Let's time travel back to the mid-60s. Yes, and tell and somebody... St- Start our own uh, British metal band British called metal The Warlocks. Band. Yep, and then we Even can... though we're women. That's fine. Okay. They all had long hair. That's fair. We don't. Okay. (laughs) Bring wigs with us. Okay. Also, bring wigs. Some of the members uh, didn't want people to confuse them with this other band, and they decided they needed to change it. The funny thing was, the other warlocks were based on the East Coast and was an entirely different sound. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And on top of that, they were also not known as the warlocks for long, as they quickly ended up changing their name to the Velvet Underground. Oh. Right? Weird. Wow. Oh, they're not a British metal band. Not so, at like, all. We could still get that. Yeah, we could. Someone get on all that. Right. Who's Who's got the fucking time travel machine? Guys, we gotta go. Again, we're <laughs> we abusing gotta, the time machine. We gotta go. <laughs> we gotta go. Sorry, guys. End of the episode. We gotta go. It's a fucking DeLorean. <laughs> the boys struggled to come up with another name until one fateful day in Phil's house where Jerry picked up a copy of... Funkin' Wagnall's Standard Dictionary of Folklore, Myth, and Legend. A sphincter says what? I'm sorry, what? 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 It's squeezy? (laughs) Baking powder? (laughs) Funkin' Wagnall's Standard Dictionary (laughs) of Folklore, Myth, and Legend. Look. Funkle Wagners and Wagnalls. Funk and Wagnalls. Yes. F-U-N-K. Ampersand. W-A-G-N-A-L-L. You know what? Fucking Wagnalls. Fucking Wagnalls! Fucking Wagnalls. (laughs) I love it. Amazing. Well, okay, so 
Jerry picks up this book and he turns to the page, just like opens it randomly. And the page that he opened it to, it just says the Grateful Dead. And his mind was fixated on it and he couldn't think of anything else. And he knew this was their new name. And just in case you're curious, the meaning of the term Grateful Dead is in reference to the soul of a dead person or his angel showing gratitude to someone who, as an act of charity, arranged their burial. Okay. Which, I mean, if you you really want to get deep into, like, the fucking lore of the Grateful Dead band, a lot of fans are like, this is so fitting. Here's the thing. I'm not getting in there, so. I I don't care yeah. enough. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's sorry, a cool guys. name. I like it's, it. it. You know, it is a, here's the thing. It's a cool name. It is a fucking cool name. Cool imagery. Yeah, I'll I mean, give it to I'm him. Not, I'm not going to take that away from you. And you know what? They did a good job with the imaging with to go along with the name. Oh, yeah, with all the skeletons. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely makes yeah. sense. Yeah, like once you understand what the Grateful Dead means, and then you're like, oh, now I get why it's all skeletons. Because and they're first, like happy skeletons. skeletons. Well, except for um the one really large skeleton head, which I'll get into, the steal your face one. He's kind of yeah. like... He's he's a little nefarious. He's a little sinister. And that always made me think it was a metal band. And you're like, ooh, this is not. Ooh. Ooh, no. Not at all. Nope. At this point, the dead were already staple performers at Ken Kesey's acid test parties. Did I mention that this was the 60s? I, the names of all of these things are ridiculous. Yeah. Oh. Oh, honey. I'm not even halfway through this shit. Just fucking Wagnalls. <laughs> Just. <laughs> no. Fucking Wagnalls. <laughs> These were a series of big parties that Kesey would hold in public places to drop acid and advocate for the use of LSD. It was a very large part of taking the beatnik culture and turning it into the hippie movement of the late 60s. Were these guys ever involved with Timothy Leary? I believe so. They had to Like, not, maybe not intimately. There are a lot. Here's the thing. They probably hung out don't, together. Don't come for me on this. Guys, there are a lot of people who come in and out of the Grateful Dead story. I'm sticking to, like, the main players. Well, when you've been around for that long, you pretty it's, much meet everybody. Yeah. I, they they definitely... He was an influence on them, for sure. Yeah. He was but, an influence on a lot of people. Yeah. And if you know anything about psychedelics... Um, you're going to realize that having black lights and sweet jams to get you through your trip are pretty essential. Mm-hmm. So having the Grateful Dead play at your shows made a lot of sense for Ken Kesey. He's like, yeah. Or Kesey. I'm sorry. Ken Kesey. His fucking names. Ken Kesey. <sighs> because of their association with Mr. Kesey, they met Owsley Stanley. What the fuck? Right? <laughs> Do you want to know the hell I've been going through for the past fucking month? Is Who these fucking are names. these people? They also called him Bear. Okay, that that makes it more also sense. known as Bear. Who, in addition, in addition to financially backing the Grateful Dead, he would eventually become their first sound man, and he has done a fuck ton to make them sound good. Is is that the reason why they have bears as their like little? We'll get to that. Stop spoiling my episode. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> But it, yes, Excuse yes. me for being smart and putting two and two together. <laughs> the psychedelic bears wouldn't have anything to do with the fucking acid king. He was also the guy who supplied LSD to the parties. Oh, so he is like the most important guy. Yeah, he would eventually, it would eventually coin him the nickname Acid King. That's from, not a nickname anybody should have. Well, I guess in the 60s it made you real cool. From here on out, LSD would play a very heavy hand in the dead's music and culture. You think? (laughs) Yes. Yes, I do. 
Owsleep also played a big part in bringing about the iconic logos of the band. So the skull that we were just talking about, mm-hmm. um, with the red and the blue circle surrounding a lightning bolt, referred mm-hmm. to as the Steal Your Face logo, he kind of ripped it off. Uh, I wouldn't say rip it off. He was influenced by like another advertisement. He saw something similar. He created it, and he actually used it to identify the band's gear. So when they were touring, he put that skull on shit so everybody knew, no, that's, that's my band's shit. Mm-hmm. And also, of course, it shouldn't surprise anyone that the guy nicknamed the bear was the inspiration for the dancing bear mm-hmm. he didn't come up with the imagery for it and he also claimed like why do people call it the dancing bear because he's clearly high step marching and if you look at a picture of like all the bears together and you're like oh they are high step marching well i don't know i mean the guy on the dogfish head thing looks like he's doing the egyptian <laughs> so <laughs> he's like i got really into the bagels in the 80s <laughs> I also love beer. He's holding that beer, though, like a fucking champ. <laughs> so He's walking like an Egyptian. Though. Yeah, he is. Bengals bear. <laughs> Y'all want a Bengals beer? Wanna... There should be a Bengals beer. We should do an episode on the Bengals. And find a Bengals beer. No, if you guys find us a Bengals beer, we will do an episode on the Bengals. So. What I would love to. 100%. We'll get to it. Before recording their first studio album, they had two live releases from their performances at the Avalon Ballroom, and they also had all the bootlegs. The Grateful Dead is a band well-known for encouraging their fans to record their shows and pass the tapes along so others can hear the music, too, and it worked very well for them and helped them to garner the large-ass fan base that they have. Yep. See? Lars? Ulrich? Lars. Lars. Things like that can help you. Come on, it's the Grateful Dead. How are we still talking about Metallica? Because we always have to bring up Metallica. God damn it. This is is our curse. (laughs) This is the cross we must bear. (laughs) Right before the end of 1966, they signed a deal with Warner Brothers, and it was the next year they released their debut LP named The Grateful Dead. So I guess you can take this one way or the other, but The Dead is primarily a live band. They do their best work at live shows. They jam, they improvise... And the studio setting isn't really the ideal place to be coming up with new parts on the spot. And they are generally my worst nightmare. That sounds like not a good time. Can you imagine? No. Being stuck in the middle of a crowd at a fucking Grateful Dead show. Kill me. The whole time you just have to sit there and tell yourself, at least it's not fish. What's the difference? There's a slight difference. Is there? Because I don't. I find at least Jerry Garcia has a decent voice. Whoever the fucking lead singer is for Fish makes me want to smash my face into rocks. Okay. Anyway, (laughs) I digress. So that means to put these guys in a room with a producer and tell them to put their songs on a track. Well, I mean, like, how are they going to know how to do that? Because they probably play their songs differently every time. Overall, the album really didn't do much outside of the San Francisco area. They managed to put it together, but... Never really made a big hubbub. I mean, who really cares what it sounds like on record? Right. They're I mean, a live if, band. Yeah. If you're going to change it every show, why does it even matter? Just play whatever the fuck you want to play in the studio and just yep. record it. Yeah. And that's kind of what they ended up doing. Yeah. But it, it's hard for a producer and an engineer and all these guys to figure out, like, well, what, what are you going for here, guys? Yeah, I suppose. And at this point, they at least had a ton of notoriety in the Haight and Ashbury district. Because... Mm-hmm hippies yeah counterculture so th- i mean that helped them at least they could have like that fan base buying their shit the grateful dead immediately went headfirst into the counterculture of the 1960s 
They performed at concerts like Mantra Rock Dance to benefit the Hare Krishna Temple and the Gathering of Tribes, a.k.a. the Human Be-In. Human Be-In? Human Be-In. Oh, and what is this? It's just, it was just tens of thousands gathered at the Golden Gate Park in San Fran to enjoy music, community, and open their minds, man. A.K.A. they just dropped a fuck ton of acid. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's just people sitting in a fucking park listening to music dropping acid. Okay. Which, 60s. Yeah. Yeah. One night, Bill went to a performance of the Count Basie Orchestra where he met a man named Mickey Hart. After spending some time together and having an informal tutorial session, Bill decided to ask Mickey, hey, would you be interested in joining the band? Mickey said yes, and that's how the dead ended up with two drummers. Because they really needed two drummers. Yep. Although Mickey would do a lot of work with other percussion instruments. Mm -hmm. While he did drum, he also did like bongos and maracas and fucking like anything. Like... And had a little zazz. He was, he was more a percussionist. Yeah, he was more a percussionist than a drummer. Like, Bill was the main drummer. Mickey was more of a percussionist. Okay. When it was time to record their sophomore album, the dead were a bit more confident about their sound and doing a lot more drugs. This combination <laughs> made for one hell of a time for Warner Brothers. <laughs> Unlike their previous Bare Bones album, they wanted to experiment more with this one. Things like, can we, like, make the sound of air? And, like, how can we make this sound like that? And, like, can we use sound effects? Can can we we make the sound of air? It wasn't air, but it was, like, some, like, bizarre, like, the sound of wind. He wanted, one of the guys wanted to make some, like, weird sound, and the producer was like, I quit. (laughs) (laughs) They were just found to be unreasonable and unprofessional. Again, drugs don't help. Yeah. Producers would drop like flies from this project, including David Hassinger, who was the producer from their previous release. I... So clearly, he was like, I'll come back. And then he's like, nah, I'm just, I can't. <laughs> For a hot second, I thought you were going to say David Hasselhoff. And can I was like, you can you imagine? I don't think he was old enough, but still. I don't think he was either, but come on. That would be hilarious. Also, baby David Hasselhoff producing. Oh, yeah, baby David Hasselhoff as a producer. That's adorable. That he still great. has that head of hair and a pacifier. Which was basically he's like, like a buff baby. Oh, he's definitely a buff baby. <laughs> David Hasselhoff was fucking he was, ripped. He was born buff. He punched his way out of the womb. Ooh, that's really painful that's, for his mother. I hope that didn't happen. That sounds like a Chuck Norris joke. Yeah, it does actually. I'm sure it is. Sure but also makes sense for David Hasselhoff. So yeah, I mean, maybe he just like I don't know, Pushed kicked his, his way out, of kicked the his way out of the uterus. Yeah, I mean, whatever. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. So at one point, Warner Brothers execs actually sent them a letter alerting to them the fact that this process was taking too long and everyone was losing their desire to work with them. And the Dead's response: they just wrote "fuck you" on in big letters on the letter and just sent it back to them. <laughs> It's like the balls. It's like it's like are you just a room of middle schoolers? Like hey, mm-hmm. fuck you, man. You don't fucking know us. Oh, fuck you. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> oh god. Just like chill out, man. They just like licked their acid tongues all over it too. <laughs> We're all dropping acid over here, man. <laughs> Should come over. It's party over here. Party. Wait, are we making an album? What? Huh? I'm hungry. Do you get munchies from acid? I don't know. Oh, okay. I just imagine they're always hungry. I mean, they're probably... I'm sure they're doing pot. This is how you say doing <laughs> they're pot. doing pot? <laughs> they're doing the pot. Smoking they're doing pot. the dope, Maggie. 
God damn it. Grandma Maggie over you here knows kids. how the drugs works. <laughs> you kids keep me young. <laughs> Even though there was a bunch of turmoil, they managed to release another decent album called Anthem of the Sun. And it's still too early for the dead to really hit it big yet, but as far as longevity, many fans hold this album in high regard as a great example of experimentation. Sure. Okay. All right. That Sounds good to me. Sure. If you're <laughs> if you're a deadhead, I think you like this album. Yep. Sure. You tell me do things and I, I done running. I done running <laughs> far away from any Grateful Dead album. Thank you. Exactly. That year, they also picked up another member who acted more as a secret weapon. Bob Hunter is a musician in his own right, but for the dead, he was a prime lyricist. He would never perform on stage, but his contributions to their songs was vast and he, very important. Is he like a Grateful Dead ghostwriter? Kind of? It's kind of cool. Maybe. Well, the Garcia-Hunter partnership would really solidify on their next album. They also credited him, so I don't know if that makes him a ghostwriter. But, like, ghost performer? Ghost man? Ghost. Just ghost. He's just... Just he's ghost. Just, <laughs> he's just Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> you would date your girl. <laughs> he's fucking Oda he Brown. <laughs> he just walks up to Jerry Garcia at one point. You would date your girl. Jerry, you would date your girl. But, like, he did do something like that eventually. As they all will. Okay, I'll I'll save that joke for the right time. <laughs> so, like I said, partnership really solidifies. The lyrics really go up on their next album. <sighs> their third album, Oxomoxoa. Uh, what? Yeah, Oxomoxoa. Can you show me this it's word? It's a palindrome. Uh, what? Oxomoxoa. <laughs> Wait, hold on. <laughs> Oh, well, that's a stupid... It's not a real word. It's no. just a palindrome. Yeah. Well, it took them eight months to complete the album because they ended up re-recording it. <laughs> All right. Drugs? Why? Drugs? No. After the first one was completed, Electric's company Ampex came out with a 16-track recording machine, and they saw this as an opportunity for more experimentation of their sound. All right. In case... You guys couldn't hear that. Ashley, I rolled real hard. You could probably hear my eyeballs creaking in my <laughs> eye sockets. Overall, they weren't super happy with the outcome. There were just some places that were a bit too dense, and they put a bit too much work into it. This was all new technology, after all, and they had to get used to how it worked. But worst of all was how much debt the creation of this put them in with Warner Brothers. The album cost them over $180,000 to what? make, which is well over $100 million in Holy today's money. Or $1 in today's money. I'm sorry. I can't read my own that numbers. Is, that's a lot. It's a lot of fucking money. 1970s, 1960s money, $180,000? I mean, did they like pull a Megadeth and spend half of it on drugs and food they didn't have to they had the bear making them lsd oh well you have to pay the bear yeah but you gotta the pay bear, the bear tax bear tax for the lsd he gave you yes that's kind of adorable. bears gotta make money too bears do just payment honey right and granola and, and honey. all american hops <laughs> just give him this beer he just wanted this beer all the bear wanted. 
Okay, so we've been associating the Grateful Dead with hippie culture and the summer of love. So, of course, they were at Woodstock. Uh-huh. But you know who I never hear about at Woodstock? The Grateful Dead? <laughs> you want to know why? Was everybody asleep? <sighs> Actually. Did they play at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning and put everybody to bed? Their set was real fucking bad. Here's the thing. I mean, think about it. Even if you're a Woodstock at 3 in the morning, if there's, like, sweet jams going on, you're going to be up, right? Nah. Dead set was fucking terrible. Okay, real talk. Yes, the Grateful Dead are just better in a live scenario. They can improvise off each other, and they are talented musicians with a lot of creativity backing them up. Mm -hmm. However, they also loved drugs. (laughs) And sometimes maybe that much acid doesn't make you better at jamming. Maybe it just makes you a mess. Oh. And that's pretty much what happened at Woodstock. Now, all right, this was an event with no organization behind it, so the timing was real off, because the dead didn't go on until hours after they were supposed to, and Rain definitely has a place to thank in that. I mean, as we all know, the Woodstock was just pissing rain for a good chunk of it. Woodstock was a hot fucking mess. It was a hot fucking mess. But, I mean, you know... They got substantially high while they had to wait to go on stage, which ended up resulting in a lot of incoherent banter during their set. And the 50-minute song, that's a five and a zero. 50-minute song. ridiculous. Needless to say, the crowd was in a nap mode by the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. I would be too. Yeah. I'd be so in like nap mode. So like you said, was everyone asleep? Yeah. Yeah, they were. <laughs> They 100%, it was only five songs in that set because they Wait, spent, they played more? Oh, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, they played one song for 50 minutes and then they played like four others at some point. Like, don't you need a break? You would think, though, like, The Grateful Dead is like a like prime example of hippie band. Nobody ever talks about them in Woodstock because they were garbage. Yeah, like, that's like their element. Woodstock is The Grateful Dead and The Grateful Dead is Woodstock. Right, but it's not. But nobody ever talks about them. Because it was terrible. Yeah. More people talk about Limp Bizkit Woodstock 99 <laughs> than they talk about Grateful Dead and fucking the original Woodstock. Hey, because Limp Bizkit is rolling, rolling, rolling. Oh, they also, like, started a riot. Yeah. Not great, guys. Woodstock 99 was a hot fucking mess, that too. That was a hot fucking mess. At least, like, Grateful Dead, they just put people to sleep. They didn't make people start fires. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah. Isn't it like the 50th anniversary this year or something? Yeah, aren't they? Yeah. They're doing something, aren't yeah, they? probably. Yeah. Maybe we should guess look where that. Guess where I'm not going to be. <laughs> there. Yeah, that's fair. We were too old for that shit. I am so not into it. You don't want to like camp in some mud? Fuck off. You don't want to spend no. $20 on a bottle of water? No. Huh. I Weird. don't want to see any of the bands that are playing either. Who's playing? I thought you were going to say, I don't know, but I don't want to see him. Um, totally forgot, but I know I don't. I, I want to say Ariana Grande is playing. Are you? No, I'm out. Like, somebody who is a very popular, like, straight up pop artist is is headlining. And I'm I not. I'm not about Ariana this life. Grande. What the fuck do you think this is? Coachella? Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. This isn't fucking Coachella. This is New York. We don't fuck do off. that shit here. Get your fucking ass out of here. Anyway, wow, we digress again. Sorry. But about the dead playing live, like, this is not the only time we see this kind of behavior. There are definitely plenty of lackluster shows that leave the audience wondering what the hell happened, which might explain why so many people go to as many shows as possible. 
because nine times out of ten they're garbage. I would say I would say you're 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 definitely up for a 50-50. It's either gonna be the best fucking show of your life or it's gonna be the worst fucking like why did I what? Why did I what? Yeah, I don't think I would I don't think I would take that chance. No. Money is precious to me. Same. I don't just throw it at any concert ticket. And I mean we also just don't like the Grateful Dead. Exactly. That doesn't help. It's now true. At this point, with a few albums and big live shows under their belt, the dead decided to take to the touring life and went on the road to perform around the country. And it was here that they were starting to develop their nomadic fans, the ones who would follow them to every show. Traveling was turning into a caravan for them. And one infamous story happened in 1970 when they were in New Orleans. The local police raided their hotel on Bourbon Street to discover ample amounts of reefer, psychedelics, and other paraphernalia to get 19 of them thrown in jail, including Jerry, Phil, and Bob. Acid King Owsley was also arrested, but was not let go like the others because he was already facing charges in California for making LSD in the first place. Yeah. I mean, at least it wasn't meth. It wasn't meth, but it was 1970 and that shit was now illegal. The dead were still able to play the second night of their shows, and from this experience came the song, Truckin'. They reference the events from that night, and it also contains the lyrics, What a long, strange trip it's been, which, as we know, is a very famous vernacular in the Grateful Dead world. Mm-hmm. Arrests weren't the only thing that they would pick up on the road. Insert STD joke here. Duh. But they would also pick up new band members, Keith and Donna Gutschow. I'm saying it wrong, and I'm sorry. Gotchow? Gotchow? It looks real French. Gachow? Gachow? Sure. That sounds fancy. Sure. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, they were a couple of deadheads who had followed the band around quite a bit. Both were also musicians in their own right. Keith, a talented pianist, and Donna, a backup singer who worked with the likes of Elvis and Cher and others. Shit. Right? What are you doing with the dead? (sighs) She don't know. She don't know. After a show, they introduced themselves to Jerry, and Donna told him that Keith was going to be their new keyboardist. Now, at the time, Pigpen had been dealing with ailments that I will soon get into. So, Jerry was enticed to have someone audition. The band immediately was into what Keith was doing, and they asked him to come on board. Soon after, Donna also became a part of the package deal, and they had her on backup vocals. Because she's fucking talented, why not? Because why not? The more the merrier. Because now the band of the Grateful Dead is eight members deep. Who do they think they are? Slipknot? Does Slipknot have that many members? Yes. Woof. They have two drummers. I would... Oh, God, I don't know. That is a Sophie's choice if I have ever been given one. Grateful Dead or Slipknot? I would take Slipknot. I don't know. You know what? I would take Slipknot. I don't know. And you know what? I can only deal with one song. That's it. I don't know. But actually, no. I can only deal with one Grateful Dead song. So, yeah. Sophie's Sophie's Choice. choice. (laughs) Sophie's Choice. 100% that's a Sophie's Choice. Yep. Oh, my God. We are Meryl Streep. I wish. I know, right? (laughs) If only. If only. All right. So, more members, meaning more people on tour. And that's not even counting their ever-growing backstage staff. I think at one point they just have, like, a staff of, like, 90 on the road. Like, is anybody getting paid? Yes. How? Because their tours fucking sell out. People 
love watching them live. That's insane to me. All around the country. Even they have a huge fan base. Even when their shows are like 50-50, you yes. might get a great show, you might get a garbage show. Drugs. I guess everybody else in the audience is on drugs too. They gotta be, right? Yeah. I don't get this culture. It makes no sense to me. This isn't for us. No. It's not for us. But you know what? If it is for you, fine. Right? Fine. We all have You're our things. You're not hurting anybody. No. Except my eardrums. They were traveling in droves now. Buses, trailers, vans, and cars were carrying an assortment of musicians, roadies, equipment, and families. Grateful Dead Life was becoming costly, and the band was feeling obligated to keep touring because that was how they made their money. And how else would they be able to cut paychecks for so many people? They were afraid if they stopped, that meant that many would be broke, jobless, and possibly homeless. I get the impression that the members of the Grateful Dead are just way too nice. Mm. Or they just have martyrdom guilty, syndrome. Like guilty consciences. I might I might attribute it more to martyrdom syndrome. Okay. Then I th- I'm not saying they're not nice. But martyrdom syndrome. (laughs) The stress of the road meant it was not only time for more drugs, but harder drugs. Mm. They were still dropping acid, smoking blunts, or sucking down some nitrous oxide. Yes. Were they just doing whippets? Yes. They had canisters (laughs) of nitrous oxide and they're just sucking it down and laughing. I just had a very quick mental image of all of them sitting on a bus with just cans of whipped cream (laughs) everywhere i mean they weren't doing whipped cream they actually had just like cans of nitrous oxide because of the grateful dead they can get that shit okay yeah yep but now i choose to believe that it's just yeah you know what it's just like cans cans. of cool whip it's ready whip it's oh ready whip it's ready whip all over the place i could down a can of ready whip though right no problem extra creamy oh i'm here for it (laughs) But now they introduced new habits like cocaine and heroin. And this would be a dark side to the band that would stick with them for the rest of their career. Good job, guys. Guys, when you do heroin, have you learned nothing from our podcast? Heroin is where you draw the fucking line. Yeah. I'll even let you have cocaine. Now, Stevie Nicks, though, you don't get any more cocaine. No, you already have a hole in your head big enough. Yeah. We you don't need it. No, no, no. In 1971, they would be one paycheck less after Mickey left the dead. It was a really kind of a mutual decision, though, as his father royally screwed them. Hmm. So Mickey's dad managed their finances for a few years until he embezzled $70,000 from them and ran off. Cool Mickey's dad. Cool Mickey's dad. I forgot his name. It was like Lenny or some shit. I just, I didn't care because he sounded like a real douchebag. Cool Lenny. I, I don't even know if that's your name. It's but like, Lenny it now. now. I think he's dead. He's definitely definitely dead. His name's fucking Lenny now. (laughs) I don't care. I don't even care. (laughs) He was later discovered in San Diego and ended up spending six months in prison. The song He's Gone was based on this story. Not to be confused with Hall & Oates' She's Gone. She's gone. He's gone. (laughs) He's still our money. (laughs) Now I can't even replace it. Yeah. I mean, he paid back a little bit, but you stole money. Clearly don't have any. Yeah. Also later down the road, many admitted that the drugs had Mickey so off his face that they had a hard time playing with him. But honestly, this is pretty much true of every member of the dead. I was just going to say, they had a problem playing with him? Yeah. 
It's just that I, I don't know if it's like, I think the dad thing made it. So it's like, maybe go get clean while you're gone too. Yeah. They will end up being notorious for either the most amazing shows or the worst shows. They could barely play some nights, let alone fucking jam off each other. Mickey does come back a few years later because mm-hmm. he kind of gets his shit together. But like, again, but does everybody else have their no. shit together? No. So what's what's the point? No, they're all the worst. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm getting a little testy now because that's kind of what the documentaries <laughs> did to me. But I'll get to all have my feelings later. One of the members who had it the worst, though, was Pigpen. While everyone else was deep in drug use, he just couldn't get on board. Never liked the feeling of LSD like everyone else, so he probably just never felt the need to experiment deeper than that. You know what, Pigpen? You're cool. Because did he love his alcohol? Oh, never mind. Pigpen's us. Take that back. <laughs> well, I mean, we love alcohol. Yeah, but he probably liked it way more than we did. Um, He did, because by his mid-20s, it was already taking a toll on his health. Oh, good job. Mid-20s. Cool. It began to alienate him from the rest of the band. That and the fact that there had already been a growing split between them as the dead turned into more of a jam band, which was really <clears throat> not his jam. Why did you do that? Because I'm an <laughs> asshole. Because you're the worst. I'm the worst. <laughs> I am, though. Yeah, it, really, Pigpen was more into blues. And as the dead ventured more into jam band... He really, like, he just didn't like improvisation that much, and he mm-hmm. just didn't really get into the sound as much as they were. You know what? I feel you. The LSD probably helped them, whereas he was like, but I like alcohol. Yeah. Slowly, his role in the band was diminishing, and his drinking became greater. He was still touring, but after a few hospitalizations and bad shows, because then he couldn't play with the rest of the band, mm-hmm. his poor health was just too much of a problem, so he decided to leave the band in 1972. And with that, he also cut off his ties to them because he, quote, didn't want them around when he died. What? And it wasn't much of a wait either. A year later, in March 1973, he was found dead in his home at the age of 27. Oh, my God. He had gas. 27. 27. 27. He had a gastrointestinal hemorrhage caused no doubt by the heavy drinking. Yeah. His bandmates were devastated. And knew that after this, that was truly the end of the original Grateful Dead. And they really, like, yeah, like, I mean, there is a clear cut in the sound from, like, their early days to when they started to really, like, grow bigger in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. And I think Pigpen's death had a big hand in that. The early 70s saw more impressive action from this band, though. There were two more studio album releases, Wake the Flood and From the Mars Hotel. And, of course, they continued with the nonstop touring. It was during this time that they had developed and utilized the infamous wall of sound set up for their shows. And this is not to be confused with Phil Spector's wall of sound. That is different. Yes. It was the brainchild of our good friend, Acid King, Owsley the Bear Stanley. Because <laughs> once again, he was their sound manager after he had been released from prison. Wait. I don't know why I said after so weird. Wait, what was... Oh, he was... Uh- he was huh. once again the sound engineer for the dead after he was released from prison. Right. Prison. He had to serve his time for the LSD charges. Oh, in New Orleans. Uh, back in California. California. He got arrested in New Orleans. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, Had to yeah, go yeah, back yeah, to yeah. California, serve some right. time. Got out. Hey, do you guys still want a sound engineer? And they're like, fuck yeah, we do. And he's like, here I am, bitches. Bow, 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 bow. He actually had the air horns. That's, that's <laughs> legit. That's truth. 
there's a lot of people in this story and a lot of yep. funny names. And it's really hard. Like, I had to really condense a lot of shit, guys. Yes. yes. Again, please don't come for me. This is a very basic I don't think any Grateful Dead fan is going to come for you. I, you, you officially fucking just got somebody to come for us. <laughs> Good job, Ashley. I would hope they'd be really nice about it. Same. So, okay. So, Owsley Stanley, along with sound crew members Dan Healy and Mark Razine, along with members of the Alembic guitar manufacturers, all came up with this idea to make the sound better. At that time, sound at live shows was primitive at best. I mean, you're all just filtering it out of the same kind of tubes and speakers. Uh There's no clarity. There's no... Real distinction. It's very muddled. Mm -hmm. So they sought to fix that shit. And I rag on this band a lot, but I do have to give them their due once in a while. And this is one of those times. The wall of sound is one of the most impressive feats to be put on by any musical act to date. Now, this is a podcast, so I don't have the visuals to show you. So please bear with me while I try to explain exactly how monumental this was. They used six separate sound systems to isolate 11 channels. Voice, rhythm, guitar, piano, drums, you name it, it had its own. This way, the speaker only carried out the sound of its instrument, as opposed to the muddy and distorted sounds of all the instruments coming out of the same speakers. Okay, that makes sense. Right? Okay. Trying really hard to make this make sense. From there, they stacked over 600 speakers at the back of the stage behind the band instead of like to the sides of the band. That's a lot of speakers. A lot of speakers. In the end, it stood three stories high and nearly 100 feet wide. How how the fuck? The sound could travel 600 feet easily despite any rain, wind, or any other kind of like just inclement weather or alternative like things coming in. I have questions. So I now, don't know if you'll be able to answer. I won't. Them. Please don't ask them. Please don't fucking ask okay. them. <laughs> I promise you I won't. It took me three YouTube videos and watching the documentaries and reading up on it. And I'm still a bare minimum understanding this because I am not good with engineering. Mm-hmm. It is confusing and complicated. This is the most basic bitch understanding I can give you. <laughs> So now you have instruments with their own section of speakers across the stage. So it makes it easier for the sound technicians to control the sound, like each individual sound. Right. Because you have somebody in charge of each, like, okay, this line goes to this instrument. And that's how they do it now. Right. But they were kind of the first band to truly revolutionize that. Even the microphones had their own volume control so the singers could mix as they played. And they did this thing with the microphones and it was a double microphone where you sang into one and then the other one would catch the ambient sound and they could turn off the ambient sound on the second microphone so you're only getting the clear crisp singing it was amazingly advanced for a bunch of fucking drug addicts (laughs) lsd (laughs) is a hell of a drug it is it does open up your creativity i hear so maybe as long as you don't do too much of it which i think they probably oh, did too much of they it did. and then they started doing heroin which that's always again that's your hard just don't line, do guys. heroin just think, don't do heroin at this point rock candy podcast just please don't do heroin no do not take the advice of gar samuelson from megadeth if you want to be great don't do heroin yeah that's it you don't gotta do heroin you don't so one could argue the hard part wasn't engineering the wall of sound but instead it was setting it up i 
that was one of my questions. <sighs> All right. How the fuck do you set that up? It took the very large road crew. Again, I said, I think they had somewhere between like 80 and 90 people for a reason. And it would take an entire day to set this up. They would have to start at 6 a.m. so they could set it up for the night show. And then they would be up until 4 a.m. to break it down after the show. And then they would have to drive to the next location. It's like, how, just how do you set that up without it tumbling over a literal wall of speakers speakers. stacked on top of each other? A lot of fucking, don't fuck it up. Yeah. A lot of fucking don't fuck it up. Yeah. Don't fuck it up. You'll be in trouble. But this was no small task at all. Yeah. It's an impressive, look up pictures of the wall of sound from the Grateful Dead. It is really fucking impressive. And again, I fucking shit on this band. But, like, damn, that's impressive. It's kind of weird to think that um, live shows weren't always done the way that they're done now. Yeah. That it was far more complicated and a whole lot more went into it. A whole lot more thinking, I guess, went into Yeah, you had to be a lot more creative. Yeah, because you didn't have advanced technology like we have now. You can't just push buttons on a soundboard. Now it's all about, like, looking up, like, what's the best type of equipment, not, like, how can I get this garbage speaker to sound good? Yeah. Which is what it was back in the day. It's crazy. By 1974, The Grateful Dead was one of the biggest touring acts in the country. They were high in demand, with a rabid fan base following them around. They felt obligated to not stop for any breaks, because that would mean their crew wasn't getting paid, like I had said earlier. On top of that, this shit was expensive. With the large payroll, the schlepping around the wall of sound, stress was pushing them through the roof, and substance abuse was a daily method to get through it all. Just imagine how much money they were spending a day on drugs. Drugs, like, crew members, food, traveling. They were making it, but they were spending it as fast as they were making it. They already lost one band member, and they really couldn't risk losing another. And so, in October, the Dead played a five-night stint at the Winterland Ballroom before taking an indefinite hiatus from touring. During this time, they recorded their eighth album, Blues for Allah, and signed with Arista Records to release their next album, Terrapin Station. And people make a big deal about this hiatus, and it was certainly needed, but it was also very short-lived. Because by July 1976, they were back at it again. (laughs) Not even two full years later. Well, that really stuck. Yep. (laughs) But I guess it it worked out at least a little bit because this time too much praise, many critics felt that their set was tighter than it ever was before. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't full two years, but I guess they still got something out of it. Yeah. So that's good. And despite not bringing back the wall of sound, because like, fuck that, (laughs) the music was still sounding great. And in fact, the following year, they did a show in Ithaca, New York. Shout out upstate New York. I guess Central New York? Central New York. Which many praise as the best live performance they ever had. Huh. Yeah. Good for them. This is a very good album. The Dead might not have the wall of sound behind them anymore, but they clearly still wanted something powerful backing them up as they decided to go to Egypt and play at the pyramids. Okay. I mean, logical next step? Ithaca, New York? Egypt! Egypt. (laughs) Totally makes sense. Yeah, I get that. Just jump on a fucking boat in New York City. You're fine. It's fine. <laughs> boat. That all makes sense. The idea was largely Phil's, who began to get onto this idea of playing in places of power. 
Of course, the event was filmed and recorded and released to the masses. When you say power, do you mean like spiritual power? Yeah. Oh, got it. I guess. Got it. Maybe. (laughs) Could it be both? It could be both. I do not remember what was going on in Egypt at at that time. I assume something crazy political. Well, they probably, but they also just liked the idea of performing in an ancient place like the pyramids to feel like a sense of spiritual power to make them feel more powerful. I bet you they believe that the pyramids were built by aliens. Well, they on an, on LSD, of course they do. Yeah. Yeah. That checks. <laughs> aliens on LSD. Oh my god. Built the pyramids. Aliens. That also checks. This all checks. This all checks. Now. All right. Now I get it. Yeah. It is an interesting watch to see the footage of them performing from this concert in Egypt because you have these guys playing some songs, you know, they're classic hits, and they're accompanied by Egyptians on drums with the Sphinx in the background. Which probably wouldn't fly today. Yeah, probably not. I mean, well, there's a lot going on in Egypt anyway. There is, but also the pyramids and the Sphinx are deteriorating rapidly. Yeah, please don't play your loud music around them. Yeah. They don't need any help. The stress of the road would take more members of the dead when in 19... Because I guess that hiatus wasn't long enough. Let's be honest. In 1979, Donna and Keith had left the band. Their marriage was on the rocks and they were, like everyone else, deep into drug use. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't doing them any favors. Keith's playing got really bad. So, of course, we can't play with him anymore. Surprise, surprise. Because we're not high. He is. You're all high. You're all playing bad. It's not just one person. Anyway. (sighs) But on top of that, there are tales of domestic abuse between the couple, I guess. Hmm. Like, we're just turning into, like, these, like, all-out fights that the band was, like, between those two things. They're like, we can't deal with this anymore. Yeah. But after leaving, Donna and Keith did get their shit together a little bit and formed Heart of Gold Band. But that was unfortunately short-lived as Keith would die in a car accident in 1980. Oh, fuck. Yeah. That's pretty tragic. The dead replaced the loss of Keith in keyboardist Brent Myland. By 1980, they were celebrating 15 years together with an 18-date run at the Warfield Theater in San Francisco. And they even performed on Saturday Night Live. Huh. Which I was like, huh. All right. All right. Well, surprise, like, was that like, did they have time for that on Saturday Night Live? (laughs) What? (laughs) For years, it seemed to be smooth sailing for the band. That was until 1986 when Jerry fell into a diabetic coma. What? Yeah. Now, for the past decade... Wait, was he eating way too much of his own ice cream? Cherry <laughs> 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 uh, <Jerry> Garcia. <laughs> Now, for the past decade, not only was his drug use getting worse, but so was his overall health. He just wasn't taking care of himself. I mean, on the road all the time, doing a fuck ton of drugs, what the fuck do you care? Heroin and fruit juice seem to be his vices of choice. Both of which are not good for you. Right? No, fruit juice is full of a lot of sugar, guys. Oh, it's it's garbage. It's just sugar. Fruit juice is garbage. flavored sugar. Yes. Don't drink it. It's... Also, don't do heroin. (laughs) Like, can you do neither of those things? I mean, he may as well have been injecting himself with the fruit juice. Oh, my God. Do you think he ever did that? Probably. Do you think he ever, like, mixed some heroin with some fruit juice? Can you do that? Can you do that? Gross. Anyway. Here's a little bit of apple. Here's a little heroin. That's apple juice, Jerry. Oh, my God. You're injecting yourself with cranberry juice cocktail. (laughs) 
It's not even real cranberry juice. It's just sugar flavored like cranberry. God damn it. Why, Jerry? Why? <laughs> After that event, Jerry would spend the rest of his life getting clean and then using again. There would be brief times when he was good, but the stress of the road was too much for him, and then he would slip off the wagon again. Which fucking sucks when your band is a road band. Right. I mean, that's all you do. Yeah. That is your job is to be on the road. Yeah. His musicianship would never really hit that high caliber of like the early days ever again. Yeah. He never gets kicked out, but he definitely had plenty of times where he didn't play well with the band. But he is the de facto leader of the band. I'm sure all of them had really shitty times playing with the band. They all did. Nobody ever kicked anybody else out. Right. And that's the thing is they, you know, they talk about um, many times where they were like, we have to have an intervention for Jerry. And he'd be like, go fuck yourselves. And they're like, no, but like, seriously, you need to stop doing so much heroin. You also had a diabetic coma. Like, there's all these stories about... They even brought back an ex-girlfriend into his life, and, like, he was with her for a while, but then she was like, you're using again, and that's fine. I just want you to be honest. He's like, get the fuck out. And so she leaves, and she never sees him again. So I'm not going to like Jerry Garcia, because he kind of sounds like a dick here. He is a drug addict, so you have to keep that in mind. So there's a level of dickishness. But he's... He's Inherent not, in all drug addicts. You know addicts. how people paint Jerry Garcia as like this really jolly, like yeah, I don't think he he's, he's not fucking Santa. He's guys. not. He's not hippie Santa. Yeah, no. Like watch interviews with Jerry Garcia. He's actually not that great of a guy. I believe it. There is one point where he like, and this isn't his fault. Like the Grateful Dead by their fans do get really touted as like a religious experience yeah and jerry kind of gets touted as jesus and one minute he kind of almost believed it and his bandmates like bro you can't he's like no you're right and he never did again at least they realized it yeah but they also like it's one of those things where it's like they understood they had a lot of power but they didn't use it for good does that make sense i suppose they did not sway and i'll get into it but they did not know how to sway their fans in the right direction okay anyway so despite all of this This would be when the Grateful Dead would be bigger than ever. They had their first and only top 10 hit with the song Touch of Grey. Yay. With the skeleton video. (laughs) It was a great video. It was a great video. They also went on tour with Bob Dylan and recorded a live album called Dylan and the Dead, which is highly touted. It's kind of cute. Dylan and the Dead. I mean, like boner jams. Their shows had become immediate sellouts, and new fans had been created while the old ones were as rabid as ever. Crowds would sit outside the stadiums to hear the music and to have their own little parties, because they couldn't always all get in. That's how many fucking people were trying to go to their shows. It still happens with Fish. Yeah. Still happens with Dave Matthews Band, too. Yeah. This is why I don't go to these shows. Yeah. I love all you lovely people, but I don't want to hang out with you. Yeah, we could have slept not. Anyway, <laughs> this began to create utter chaos in the streets. And this is what I'm talking about. It's like Jerry even himself came out and told the fans, like, guys, like, stop coming to shows. If you don't have a ticket, please don't show up because now people are getting hurt. There's violence. There's just kind of just this ultimate incredible chaos going around. Yeah. And he is just kind of like... Eh. he's. It's The way he does it is more like, hey, guys, don't... <laughs> 
guys, don't do that. Like, he knows that if he wanted to have that kind of power over his fans, he could. And I guess kudos to him for not using that. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, it's like... Sometimes you kind of have to. Sometimes you kind of have to be the bad guy and be like, guys, knock it the fuck off. And so he's like, guys, don't do that. Oh, but don't. But but you know, you can do whatever you want, but just like, don't do that. Yeah. But no one listened. Because he's... (laughs) Of course. Yeah. Because the Grateful Dead were so hot right now. They're so hot right now. The Grateful they were, Dead. That that Grateful Dead, it's so, so hot, hot right, right now. now. But it was. Like, they were the fucking it fucking game right here. In 1990, the keyboardist curse struck again when Brent died of a drug overdose. Whoa. Yeah. He was replaced in the band with Vince Walnick. But for a few years, the touring keyboardist was actually Bruce Hornsby. Huh. Yeah. Just for a couple years. And one might have almost thought that the keyboardist curse was broken. What with Bruce is still kicking it all. But in 2006, unfortunately, Vince sadly committed suicide. Oh. Yeah. That's sad. Don't be a keyboardist for the Grateful Dead. Moral yeah. story, guys. If you're going to get anything out of this episode. The curse of the keyboardist. Yeah. Which is not a curse I've ever heard of before. Interesting. Yeah. Unlike a lot of artists we cover, the Grateful Dead were acknowledged for their achievements pretty early on, and in 1994, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Okay. I was I really want to include this because I just wanted to look at your face when I said that. I mean, I guess. I, to be perfectly honest, I really feel like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is going the way of the Grammys in the sense it's that garbage. it's garbage and irrelevant. Yeah, I know it is, 100%. Like, but I I'm, still like getting mad at it. Yeah. I'm not going to yeah. stop getting mad at it. Yeah. Can't stop, won't stop. I mean, it does make sense. They were the biggest touring act in America, and their whole scene was a total anomaly. And despite the stress of their lives, they just keep going. Yeah. And I'm not going to malign them for being inducted. They deserve it. Oh, no. I'm not maligning them at all. Yeah, no. They, I just... They, fucking hate the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Know, it's stupid. It's pointless. It's pointless. Um, but we can do away with that in the Grammys. This is all stupid. Absolutely, there's no point. And at this point, I think it's been obvious that this lifestyle has not done them any favors, and they had lost many in their group up to this point. Mm-hmm. But none would be as much of a break screeching in the night. Or as much of a life-altering experience as Jerry Garcia in 1995. A few days after his 53rd birthday, Jerry checked himself into a rehab center in another attempt to get clean. But two days later, he was found dead in his room of a heart attack. And it's really hard to pinpoint what aspect of his life really did it in for him. Because there was the drugs, the diabetes, the sleep apnea, the smoking. I mean, collectively, it all adds up. Yeah, that's You just, live like that, you're going to die at 53. All of those things are a recipe for dying early. Yeah. I mean, he had the perfect cranberry juice cocktail of death early. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Friends, family, and fans alike were floored by this news. I actually vaguely remember this. I don't at all. I, I do... This was not something I followed. I do remember watching MTV... And them having the news on. Having it on the news. I didn't have MTV, that's why. There There we go. go. There it is. So at this, the Grateful Dead made the decision to disband. Now, since about 1998 until about, like, well, now, the members of the band have joined back up at a bunch of times under different iterations. 
mm-hmm. with names like The Other Ones, The Dead, Further, and now Dead and Company, which consists of Mickey, Bill, and Bob, along with some new members, one of which being John Mayer. Yeah. John Mayer. Ain't that some shit. Is in The Grateful Dead. Sure is. Yeah. Makes you love it even more. I'm so confused. I don't mind John Mayer as a person. I actually think he's pretty funny because I think he makes fun of himself a lot and I appreciate that. Um, He should make fun of himself a lot. But he knows that he should. Yeah. And I appreciate that. But they've been touring on and off since 2015. I think they're even going to have a tour this summer. There's still... It's like while the dead isn't around anymore, the dead is still around. You can't escape them. The Grateful Dead. Yeah, you can't get away from them. Can't get away from it. Mm-mm. Can't stop, won't stop. They haven't since 1964. Truth. <laughs> And they were just uptown junk band. <laughs> All right. So it's pretty much their story. That's what I'm giving you guys. Like, I'm not going, again, I'm not going balls out. I know I miss stuff. Meh. I, I think I've given, like, the basic understanding of this band. And I've also talked about them for way longer than I want to. But there, again, is a lot. Overall, my hot take. This is when we're going to get into the shit of it. Oh, na- so. oh now's when we get into the shit of it. Okay, we've been getting into More the shit, shit of it. And I We're guess just... I've been saying it. All right. Overall, these guys don't impress me. I'm yeah. really Shania Twained about these guys. They don't impress us much. They don't. Like, I do think they are very talented individuals. They are great musicians. But together, it was like they all dropped acid and had a long, terrible idea together. <laughs> see what I did there? See what I did there? I see what you yeah, did. I see what I did there. Yeah. 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 Okay. And it doesn't, like, watching the documentary, the band members don't really seem like the coolest of dudes either. Mm. At all. I mean, after their very last performance before they went on a hiatus in 74, they, they film everything. That's the other thing, too. Like, this band, like, films all the shit that they do. And they have a film from their last performance in 74. And the whole time you have for, like, 45 minutes, the fans are out there, like, cheering for a second encore 45 minutes they were fans were out there waiting for another encore Uh second encore oh i believe they've performed the first and they wanted another and you just have a film of like jerry and i want to say phil maybe bob i can't remember who uh don't uh you can watch the documentary it is on amazon prime Mm -hmm. and um check it out and you know tell me if i'm wrong whatever i don't care but uh they're just interviewing that like not even interviewing they're filming them and they're like are you guys gonna go back out like why and like, because people want you to go back out and like, what for? They're just going to want us to come out again after that. We're not going, we don't owe them anything. Like, we don't have to go back out there. That's garbage. They are not really cool to their fans. Like, I'm pretty Some sure. Some of them have written books and none of them thank their fans who are basically why they're so fucking huge. Yeah. Like, you kind of do owe your fans something because honestly, most of those people in that audience have probably seen you 10 plus times and five of those times you've been fucking <laughs> garbage. So yes. maybe you should make up for it. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is when I watch the documentary, they really don't seem to give a shit about their fans, which is insane because like you I, created this entire world. I don't know how you can be such a big successful band and not give a shit about your fans right they're the reason they are you're such a big deal right you gotta appreciate the people who appreciate you right and that's the funny thing is i think the one real positive takeaway that i do have from this band is their fans or as they prefer to be known as the deadheads (laughs) 
The Grateful Dead was one of the first bands to start a fan club when they advertised to start a mailing list on their first album. Like, hey, you into this? Give us your address. We'll send you, like, let you know when we're going to be in town and stuff. They were one of the first bands to really do that. Yeah. And I have to say, based on my encounters, like, most of these people are pretty nice, easygoing people. I really haven't met a deadhead that's like, yeah, maybe you're a little too much in the Grateful Dead and maybe, like, cool it on the patchouli, but you're a very nice person. And yeah, they really I've never like, met like a a jerk of right. a Grateful Dead. They're fan. polite. They have a great sense of community. Yeah, you know, like overall, they're pretty good people. And that's the thing. Like, we may make fun of the band, but that I is, don't want to malign the that fans. That is zero reflection on the fans. Like, I get it. If you like them, that's great. Yeah. Please stop asking me to listen to them. <laughs> I mean. I like Taking Back Sunday a whole lot, but I know that that is not a band that everybody likes. I like house music and no one else likes house music. (laughs) So, like, I get it, you know? I I would hope people wouldn't judge me just based on one band that that I like. Right. You know, and, like, damn, these people are dedicated. Because they... Get it? Dedicated. Ah! <laughs> Zing! Oh, I'm, I'm out. Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye. Done. Fuck this. Done. Look, some people, like, quit their jobs, leave their yeah. families to fucking follow around a band that they know may or may not put on a good show <laughs> that night. They are committed to the culture of the scene that the Grateful Dead created, which is one that I would argue the band doesn't actually subscribe to. Yeah. I don't think they're really all about the shit that they tout. I think they just fucking love doing drugs back in the day. Yeah. So there you go. And also, I would be ignorant to gloss over the fact that this band has influenced a ton of other musicians. Maybe not musicians I love, but they influence them. Maybe jam bands aren't my thing, but it is now because of the Grateful Dead. It's a thing now. It's a I thing mean, now. They made it that way. I feel like I need to throw some respect. I mean, if look, I may I, not be one of them, but like many have been influenced to do good things and create good art because the dead made music. Yeah. And like we said, that's my diplomatic take on the yeah. Grateful Dead. I mean, like we said, the fans are tops. Yeah. Like the fans. Like if you, man, like. I can never throw that much dedication to anyone. Yeah. Ever. Like, to to mold my entire existence around it. No. My attitude, my ev- everything yeah. like that. Like, I don't think I could do that around one band. Yeah, I would say Taking Back Sunday, but I no. just go see them every year. I just see them every year. I don't mold my life around yeah, it. Yeah, you don't. I would never quit my job and follow oh them. Oh my god, no. That also, would be like, no. 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 Also like don't do heron but don't quit your job to follow a band. Yeah, no. Don't do that. I mean just like pay your bills, guys. Unless you like saved up your money and you budgeted it out and you know you can Oh, oh that's different. Know, that's like that's... backpacking across Europe. Yeah. But don't just different. like up and like change your whole life. Yeah, no. That's, don't do that. You know, don't do that. Shower. Shower. <laughs> Is this like the new version of Boz Lerman's Wear Sunscreen? <laughs> don't, don't quit, quit your, your job <laughs> to follow a band around unless you have a backup plan. Shower. Shower. <laughs> But still wear sunscreen. That shit's important. Yes, it is. He makes Super. a good point. He does. Seriously. I ain't getting skin cancer. Wear sunscreen at those Grateful Dead shows, guys. Yeah, for real. Those You're are out in the sun. You are out in the sun. 
You know, and you're very high. I stay hydrated too. Hydrate or dehydrate. Seriously. Um, I went to a festival show at Bethel Woods before it was Bethel Woods. For those of you that don't know, Bethel Woods <laughs> is where the original Woodstock was held, but it's not called Woodstock. It's actually in a town called Bethel, which is like 25 minutes away from actual Woodstock. It's confusing. Anyway. Can you say Bethel again, though? Bethel. Thank you. I went to Bethel Woods <laughs> and it was a super 90s concert. Third Eye Blind, Goo Goo Dolls, oh, that's Marcy right. Playground, Dishwalla, Joan Osborne. Here for it. Yeah, it was great. Didn't wear sunscreen. Ooh. Lived to regret it. Ooh wee. I was a walking blister for like a week. It was gross. Yeah. Guys, wear sunscreen. Wear sunscreen. Listen to Baz Luhrmann. <laughs> He, does, he knows what he's talking about. Also, Moulin Rouge is a good movie. I do like Moulin Rouge. Also, Ewan McGregor. God, I'd fuck him. Yeah. When he that sings- is super relevant to anything we're talking about. <laughs> um, But when he sings Roxanne, it's really great. Oh. It's really good. Oh, God. Boner jams. Basement flooded. All right. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think we've exhausted our opinions at this point when we start talking about Moulin yeah, Rouge. I'm kind of just spitting out words and phrases now. Just so. thoughts. It's just coming out now. Ewan McGregor, Roxanne, police, <laughs> don't like him. Blah, blah, blah. Wear sunscreen. Wear sunscreen. Listen to Baz Luhrmann. <laughs> Done. Uh, giving all right. myself whiplash. You kind of are. You're giving me whiplash by watching you. No one can see this, but you're whipping your head back for and it. forth. Whip my hair back. Oh, my goodness. All right. This is where we're, we're fucking we're t- we're tying Stop. up. Stopping it now. Yeah. All right, guys. So that's the story of Grateful Dead by someone who doesn't like the Grateful Dead. Grateful Dead for dummies. I and like it. So now that I finished up, I would like to rescind <laughs> our initial. We are taking it back. Taking back Sunday comments. We are not, do don't give us a beer and expect don't. us to cover the band. We're not going to do it because it's hard, guys. This was sincerely. If we don't like the band. It's really fucking hard to talk about them. And it's really hard not to, like, do some hard eye rolls and make sarcastic and comments the through the whole th- thing. The and thing. I don't want to do that. Out of anybody that, like, that we don't like, a Grateful Dead is on the good side of it. Because I did find some interesting shit. Like, thank God it wasn't fish. <laughs> but I yeah. mean, like, and, and, and fucking, if you ever ask us to cover the Flaming Lips. Fuck you. We're going to, I'm going to set you know my what? apartment on fire. <laughs> and I don't want to do that. If you hand us that dogfish head flaming lips beer and say, here, do an episode on flaming lips, I will throw it back in your face and light you on fire. Yeah, like I will I will not drink that beer. I refuse. Hands nope. down. Refuse. We don't like the flaming lips here at Rock Candy, and you can go fuck yourself if you want to fight us. <laughs> Take them beach balls and shove them straight up your butt. Little party cannons. No. Mm. And I don't like fish either. So like yeah, the, Dave I, Matthews I, Band. I realize like I realize now after doing this episode that was a mistake. We love yeah, and, you, and we are going to try to cover as much content that is interesting and relevant to you as we possibly can. But we also need to like it. We it's hard when we don't like it, guys. Yeah, but and maybe we can do like minisodes. I don't know. But Avery, we did this for you. We love you, Avery. Thank you for the beer. It is actually very fucking good. The beer's really good. So the beer is that. really good. So, but Dogfish Head. But like, get the beer. At yeah, least honestly, get the beer. you know what I will say? Yeah. Get American Beauty by Dogfish Head. It is very good. It is. It's a good, tasty beer. Damn. All right. So let's wrap this shit up. Wrapping this shit up. Thank you guys for listening so much. We appreciate you. 
If you're liking what you're hearing, why don't you go bring yourself to iTunes, throw in a five-star review, say, hey, these ladies are all right. And that's all I want. Hey. Hey. Get real Fonzie with it. Navigate yourself to the back of the line with your feet and your shirt. shirt. And then, you know, you can also navigate yourself to our social medias. We got the Twitter at Rock Candy Pod. And then we got Instagram and Facebook at the Rock Candy Podcast. It's actually just at Rock Candy Podcast. I did not mean to throw the in there. But also, you sound like Andrew Dice Clay right now. That's Isn't that who I am, though? I don't know. But am I you not are Andrew now. Dice Clay? <laughs> you are now. All right. I'm fine with that. And, uh, you know, next week, got another really fun episode. So get ready oh, for that Oh, it's going to be very fun. This will be very fun. And we we want to talk about this yeah. band. So yes. that's going to be very exciting we for us. We might have some, some... Some surprises. Some surprises. Ooh, get yourself ready with your feet and your shirt. <laughs> get um, yourself to the front of the line with yeah. your feet and your shirt. Next week. Big, big times. Yeah. Big happenings. And uh, all right. So we're going to wrap it up. But we'll yep. see you guys next week on another episode. And until then, party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. And party on, you crazy kids out there. With your balls out and your thank yous. (laughs) 